appreciate that. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. We'll begin reading with verse number 15. Amen. How many's got your Bible? Amen. Hold it up. Don't be ashamed of it. Praise God. All right. Young people, where's your Bible? Okay. Next week, our sword. We might get in a fight. Amen. And we can't defend nothing without a sword. All right? Amen. That's good. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Let's all stand together as we read this portion of Scripture. <laughs> for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Three secrets to hanging in there. Three secrets to hanging in there. Let's go to the throne of grace. I'm going to ask Brother George Brown to please pray. Amen. You'll be seated. How many of you ever been to a rodeo? Amen. Rest of you never. How many of you ever seen a rodeo on TV? How many of you ever seen bull riding on TV? How many knows what a bull is? Praise God. One of the things that we seen, and I love rodeos. One of the, one of the greatest things I like watching on rodeo is the fact of the bull riding. And um, man, what an exciting sport it is. Now, I don't know if those bull riders are tough or crazy or both. Amen. They climb on a 2,000 pound bull who certainly can be intimidating. And once the rider settles in and uh, on the back of the animal and ties his hand real good and tied around that rope, the last thing said to him is, hang in there. And that's where the phrase was first said. As a matter of fact, as he holds on to that rope, and, and for an eight-second ride, for an eight-second ride, spectators in the crowd holler, hang in there. And that's how we come to get the phrase. To be honest with you, sometimes life is like a bull ride. Only problem is, it lasts a whole lot longer than eight seconds. 
And the Apostle Paul, if there was a writer, if there's a writer in the New Testament that understood life and understood Christianity and understood what it meant to be a to me I mean to be a real Christian and understood the principles of the Word of God and how the Holy Ghost of God moved him to pin things down and I and I stand amazed how they're relevant for twenty fourteen on a Wednesday night the first day of October. I stand amazed at that. Which tells me how timeless this book is called the Word of God. How, how much it, it can just, it, it, it's got all the answers to it. One of the things that I'm ever amazed at, I, I got a message I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach on. And, uh, on how to raise a weasel. How to raise a weasel. How to raise a prince. And, uh, well, I, I, just, I ain't going to run that rapid. Amen? I am so, yeah, how to raise a weasel or a prince. And so, anyway, we'll talk about it. I'm not going to run that rapid. Amen? But Paul here, he, he found that life was so many times like riding that bull. He said it, you can get bucked off and it hurt. As a matter of fact, sometimes we're thrown hard to the ground. And many times that bull will turn and attack the, the, the rider. I, I've seen them literally do their, their best to drive them in the ground. Sometimes life does that. And the Apostle Paul understood that. Because he understood some of the greatest hardships anybody had ever ever uh, lived with. Uh, and not only that, but the Jews hated him, and the Gentiles hated him. Kind of like Dr. Howells used to say, when you mention my name, either pucker up or duck. Either that you loved him or you hated him. One of the two. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to be shipwrecked three times in the ocean. He knew what it was to be beaten with 39 stripes six times. Most men never survived one. He was stoned and left for dead three times. And one time, most everything I've ever read says he did die. And many believe that's where he got the testimony, why he's in the Spirit or not. I don't know, but I saw things that's unlawful to utter. Many believe he literally died. So when he says we can hang in there, we can because he's not a novice. He's lived. He knows what it means. So he comes and says, now don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart. Never give up. And I love that. But he does more than that. He gives us three secrets in this passage that I will guarantee you, you'll never get discouraged, you'll never despair, and you'll never quit. You say, really? Yes. And they're right here. 
all right together. Number one, secret number one. Boy, this is a big one. Servant without notoriety. Servant and not caring whether you get credit or not. Servant, boy, I tell you what's the truth, but that, that's good if that don't happen. Servant without notoriety. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we faint not. God in His mercy has got a work and a place for every person in this building. But the greatest enemy to that work is ourselves. Is ourselves. It's amazing. We don't serve because we're commended to serve. Praise God. We get to serve. If you put your name on here because you thought you had to, I don't care who it is, come up here and rub it out. It's okay. I, I'm not interested in that. Well, I guess I just got to teach that class. Please let me know. You don't have to do anything. Mm -mm. Boy, I just got to preach tonight. Oh, no, no, no. I get the great privilege and honor to preach. Oh, my goodness. Now, don't take it lightly. See, I find one of the greatest things, one of the greatest reasons down through the years I've lost people and we've lost people in our church is because the moment it become about them instead of Jesus. They become more important than Him. Paul said here, he said, we preach not ourselves. It's not about us. A servant focuses on the one they serve. The job of a servant is to make the one they're serving look good. 2 Corinthians 4.11 For we which are live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of our Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. Here's what he's just saying. If we're serving right, they'll see Jesus in you. What do people see when they see you? What do they see? Service never strives for the applause of men. The goal of the servant is to hear the master one day say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 7. And whom the God, little g, of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ 
who's the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. In verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, this is a glass of water. Just didn't know if you knew that or not. And um, what's the most important if you're thirsty? The container or what's in the container? And I tell you what, we got a bright crowd. What's in it is what's important if you're thirsty. Can I say this? Here tonight, if you're saved by the grace of God, I said if, and that's a big if. That's a big if. There's a lot. There's a person called the Holy Spirit of God that lives within you. And it is a light in a dark, dark world. And God said, we're just a vest, we're just a container. What's in is what's important. It's what's in that's important. Do the people you go to school with, young people, know you're a Christian? Do they know you love Jesus? If you don't love Jesus, why don't you love Jesus? Do you love yourself more than you love Jesus? If you're corrected, do you, do you rebel and, 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 and it's always a, a fight? Why? Why? What is inside you? Does it portray something? Because when we serve, I, I, please, I, I want you to listen to me. Please listen. And, and don't, get, don't get sideways with me. Please. If you get my heart tonight, you won't get angry. If you don't catch my heart tonight, you, you'll be upset with me. Alright? If you capture my heart tonight, you'll, you'll not leave upset. One of the reasons... One of the reasons that I chose in these couple of weeks here to just stop a whole lot of the singing is not because I don't love your young people. I do. Love them desperately. By the way, that decision was nobody else made that. I made that. All by myself. So if you don't blame somebody, come see me. It's my doings. Young people. I love all these young people here. I do. We got a whole bunch of them that's talented. They got a lot of talent. And I praise God for that. I rejoice in that. But here's what I see lacking. Here's what I see. Two things I see lacking in their life. And, and I'm begging God. I'm begging God in these few days here. To do it for them. Number one, I don't see much of a love for God in their heart. Now you, you, you're welcome to come and correct me. I'm just telling you what I see. I don't see much of a love for God. 
They're talented. I've seen a lot of work practicing. And I looked. And I saw it. And I so longed to see this. To walk by and say, Dear God, please bless our talent. God, please empower us. And they might see Jesus and not us. I never heard that. I never saw it. And if you're angry with me, you misunderstand. I want them to go to a whole new level with God. Some bigger than their talent. I don't see a love for God. You say, how, how can you say that? Because I don't see a real genuine love they have for each other. I mean a genuine love for one another. Too much jealousy and envy with them. And that just only gets worse. Mom and Daddy, please don't boo me out. That only gets worse when we as adults get in the middle of it. We just, we just make it worse. We just make it worse. What we need to do is join me and say, well, I spent today, I spent a long time begging God to please capture the heart. I called every one of them by name. Every young person in this church by name. Every single one. And I said, God, please capture their heart. God, we're going to lose them. Some of them going to prostitute that talent for a dollar bill. And all through history, men have prostituted the talent that God, a God-given talent He's given them. Elvis Presley was, was one of the greatest singers. He was a king of rock and roll. But I want to tell you, he prostituted the talent and died at 45, 46, in his 40s, on a toilet, in a, in a, in a drug-induced stupor. He died so much young. He prostituted what God had given him. Our young people don't even know who Elvis Presley was. But the rest of you do. And so I've been begging God today, God, please capture their heart. And when He captures their heart, they don't have to tell you. You'll know it. You'll know it. Their speech will change. Their speech will change. I was praying today, and what God just really, I, 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 get, I get aggravated with them sometimes. And I ain't sure I've always dealt with things the right way. I don't think I have. I don't think I have. But God today said, why don't you just start begging me to touch their lives? It's okay, God, that's exactly what I want to do. I don't know whether you think my prayers get answered or not, but don't tell me. I think God hears and answers them. Amen? And I'm asking God. Now, now listen, we got some great young people. We got good young people. We got Talented young people. And don't miss this. They're the next ones that'll teach our Sunday school classes. 
fill the roles of deacons, they'll fill, they'll fill the roles and places in this church. And I'm asking God to do something for them. Talent does not make you spiritual. Does not make you... As a matter of fact, some of the most unspiritualist people in this world are gifted people. Are gifted. But they're not spiritual. And so tonight, the one of the first... And the first place to start that... And then you just simply ask yourself, can you serve without notoriety? If nobody never clapped, nobody never said that's good. Now, I like want to encourage them. I do. Now, I don't do a good job of that. I'm going to work on that. Trying to encourage them more. But if that doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen, we still serve God, we still love Him. God's entrusted so many with a gift. And it's so easy to lay aside. But mostly it's been laid aside because I'm not getting the notoriety that I want. I would love to have the time. I don't. I'd love to have the time tonight to tell you one of the first places to start one of the first places, and I'll just touch on it for just a moment, that's bigger than life. One of the first places to start, and if every mom and daddy, if you love your children, we've got to teach them how to deal with authority. They don't know how to deal with it. And let me say this, when you divide authority in that child's life, Husband and wife cannot agree on how to deal with a child. Let me give you the answer. The godly answer is that y'all come together and be unified. That's the godly answer. But if you just can't do that, one has to become the authority and the other's got to support that one. Because here's what happens. You give that child... Any child in this room, any child in this room, I don't care who they are, or, or any child, if they can divide authority, they'll get their way. And they, but here's what's, here's what's, you say, well, preacher, what's the big deal? I don't agree with that. Here's what you don't understand. One day, right now, you're teaching these young ladies to be uh, somebody's wife. And if they can't do handle authority now, how are they going to handle the authority of a husband? They're going to go to a job. How many of you are under authority at your job? Every person. We're on authority when we get on the highway. And if we don't teach them to handle authority right now, I'm talking about handling authority now. One day, they'll be on a job and they won't keep it. Now throw away marriages like changing shirts because they don't know what to do with authority. And they've been taught it. So we've got to teach them. Got to teach them. And the, most, the worst thing you can do is divide authority. Divide authority. We have authorities in our church. You have authorities in your home. And whenever you divide that, you, you, you just, man, you do something awesome. And... Um, now, I understand there's sometimes illegal stuff and immoral stuff, 
But I'm talking about as a general principle when we divide authority in, in the eyes of these children. In other words, how many of you remember a day, God, I wish I had two hours to preach tonight. How many of you remember a day when, some, when you come home with a letter from the teacher or the teacher called? How many, you got it at school, you got it home. How many members that day? How many members that day? Hallelujah. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. If you come home and a teacher had to discipline you, he is on when you go home. You know why? Because you wanted to teach that child that's the authority in that school. You want them to be successful. Now, we just go to school and fight everybody and tell that young child, we tell that, we tell that immature mind, authorities not important. We allow them to stand and argue and complain and this, and this, and this, and this, instead of saying, listen, that's the authority. Shut up and do it. You say, well, they ain't going to like it. They're not going to like it a whole lot worse when as an officer, and he stands, and says, you sit in the car. We had a young man in our church. God, I wish I had a Had a young man in our church. Highway patrolman stopped him. He said, young man, stay here. He gets out. He said, I said, young man, get in your car. He gets out. And that patrol pulls a gun, says, I said, get in that car. And that young man went home and told his parents, he said, we're going to sue. What they need to do is sue them for their stupidity. Because they didn't teach a young man how to handle authority. And we all come under authority. All of us. Amen. All of us come under authority. Oh boy, that's dear Jesus. Number two. Secret number two. Serving without notoriety. Number two. Sur- surmount the insurmountable. Verse eight. We're troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but I ain't destroyed. Here's what he's just saying. He said, man, I got more troubles than screen doors got holes. But he said, I'll tell you this much, I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting. He said, we've been spiritually terrorized, but God ain't left us. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. We're pressed on every side but troubles. But he said, we're not crushed. He said, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're put down, but we're not abandoned by God. We get pounced on, but we're not destroyed. There's three pipelines through which God sends His power. Number one, praise. Praise. Notice the we praise. Prayer and proclamation. Paul praised God in the hard times, in the prison house. He prayed when he needed strength. And Paul proclaimed the gospel no matter what place he was. We can learn to praise God in your prison of problems. 
you're going to find that it'll be easier. When everything is going your way, you'll see the power of God manifested in a miraculous way. It's impossible for praise and despair to coexist in the same, uh, same heart. Like the bull rider we were talking about earlier. That ride's going to be rough for eight seconds. I mean rough. But when, if he holds on and gets off, I'm going to tell you, he raises his hand and shouts the victory. Amen. Secret number one, serving without notoriety. Secret number surmount the insurmountable. Number three, seeing the unseen. For our light afflictions. Now, stop right there. Paul says, shipwreck, beaten, beaten, left for dead. He's calling this light afflictions. I quit. What do we call that? If he's calling shipwreck, beaten, this light affliction, why in God's name, when we complain, is God going to call that? We find it for our light affliction is but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Here's what God said. God made you go through that because you need it. God said, I'm going to send that to you to strengthen you. God said, I'm going to allow it to happen because in the end, He said, it'll bring glory. For we look not to the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Things that discourage us the most is not that which has happened in the past. Usually not what's going to happen in the future. The things that bother us most is what we're facing right now. But if we can, in this time, praise God for this moment, this time, this day, then we've learned a victory. Listen to what God said, speaking to your life and to mine. Philippians 1, 6, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Philippians 2, 12. For it is God which worketh in both you to we, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Colossians 1.29 Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. Hebrews 13.21 Make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, whom be glory forever. And ever, amen. God comes to a tomb. Lazarus has been dead for four days. God said, roll stomp away. Then he raised Lazarus from the tomb. He goes to six water pots. 
the line is run out. The owner, the, the bridegroom is about to be embarrassed. And Jesus said, fill the pots with water. That's what fasting and praying is. Rolling the stone away, filling the pots with water. That's what praying and fasting is. Rolling the stone away and filling the pots with water. And then Jesus raised Lazarus and Jesus turned the water into wine and Jesus has to do what you and I cannot do. Amen? Tonight, hang in there. Hang in there. And he gives us the reason why. We've invited our patch kids and our workers because we want us all praying together. Amen?